Jeremiah chapter number 26, and I'd like to read from verse number 8. Jeremiah chapter number 26, verse number 8. Now it came to pass when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, that the priest and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. That wasn't a very good sermon, I can just tell you. Not a very good day for a preacher when you get that kind of response. Why hast thou prophesied in the name of the Lord? Verse 10, when the princes of Judah heard these things, then they came up from the king's house unto the house of the Lord and sat down in the entry of the new gate of the Lord's house. In other words, they held court. Then spake the priest and the prophets unto the princes and to all the people, saying, This man is worthy to die, for he hath prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your ears. Then spake Jeremiah unto all the princes and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and against this city all the words that you have heard. Therefore now amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God, and the Lord will repent him of the evil that he hath pronounced against you. As for me, behold, I am in your hand. Do with me as seemeth good and meet unto you. But know ye for certain that if you put me to death, ye shall surely bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and upon the inhabitants thereof. For of a truth the Lord hath sent me unto you to speak all these words in your ears. Then said the princes and all the people unto the priest and to the prophets, This man is not worthy to die, for he hath spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Well, it looks like popular opinion can be swayed, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, we've got everybody saying this man needs to die. And uh, in just a little bit, this, this man does not need to die. They need to make up their minds. Uh, I, I want to I preach tonight with the help of the Lord. And, and uh, I hope you'll help me. I know you may be getting weary. This is Friday night. But I hope you help me for just a few minutes tonight. I, I want to preach about the cost of carrying a message for somebody else. The cost of carrying a message for somebody else. Let's ask the Lord to touch us. God, we love you. Lord, it's so good to be in your house. Bless us, Lord, with your word. Bless us, Lord, and anoint us today. Let us receive from the word of God. Let it find a lodging place in our hearts. Let it be anointed from heaven today. God, we give you the praise. We give you the glory. We give you the honor in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen, and let's give the Lord one more hand clap of praise. He is good. Oh, he's so good, so good, so good to us. Praise God, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. 
Many years ago during World War I, the, uh, the communication from one uh, unit of soldiers to another was not quite as sophisticated as it is today. It was a day before there were uh, GPS uh, systems, a day before there was uh, wireless communication and such. And uh, communication was very primitive. And uh, since messages um, had to be transmitted by wire, by telegraph or field uh, phone, um, it, uh, it, it, was, it was important for uh, army units uh, fighting in Europe, it was important for them to carry messengers that did not rely on uh, wire. And uh, their, uh, their method of wireless communication was something called carrier pigeons. That was wireless communication in World War I. And uh, these pigeons, uh, they, uh, they, 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 they served uh, purposes. They, sometimes they were even fitted with cameras to take pictures of enemy positions. And uh, they were also... They were trained uh, whenever they were let loose. They were trained to, to go to wherever home was. And so they would, uh, they would, they would establish several headquarters where there uh, where was, uh, was considered to be the home coop, if you will. And, and when a carrier pigeon was sent from the field and landed in the home coop, then there would be a buzzer sound and those that were responsible for the pigeons would go out and find a message in a little canister attached to the leg of the pigeon. And uh, many lives were saved in World War I because of a little message written on a piece of paper that was carried, neatly folded, secured in this canister attached to the pigeon's leg. And uh, when the pigeon came in, found a home, the message would be read and acted upon. There's a, an amazing story. I, I looked it up and found quite a bit of information about it. Uh, there was a battle during World War I where there was a United States uh, uh, a unit of soldiers under Major Charles Whittlesey. And there were more than 500 soldiers that were trapped in a small depression on the side of a hill. And they were surrounded by German soldiers. And um, because they were surrounded so completely, many of them were killed. In fact, um, after one day of fighting, uh, there were so many killed and wounded, there was only 200 soldiers that were left uh, that were alive or not wounded. Major Whittlesey, he sent out several pigeons that they had on hand to tell the commanders where they were, that they were surrounded, how badly trapped they were. And uh, all of the pigeons, in fact, it was common in uh, soldiering that day to use this as a means of communication. And so the Germans were waiting for the pigeons to ascend. And they would just simply shoot them out of the sky. And uh, Major Whittlesey was down to just a little bit of food left, down to somewhere around 200 men left. 
and uh, uh, it, it, it looked like it was desperate. He was down to one pigeon that was left. His last pigeon was a little fella named Cher Ami. Cher Ami, which is French for my friend. And so they were down to one pigeon, Cher Ami. He wrote a quick note, simple note. And uh, just about the time he was to let him loose, the Americans began to attack his position. He was taking on friendly fire. And uh, he began to realize he was going to lose more men. They were coming under barrage from their own uh, soldiers who did not know they were there. And so he quickly scrawled a note and and uh, the note said, we are along the road parallel to 276.4. Our own artillery is dropping a barrage directly on us. For heaven's sake, stop it. Period. And he put it in the little canister, tied it to the leg of Cherami, and released my friend to go back home. As had already happened when Cherami began to, to get airborne, the Germans saw another pigeon and quickly began to open fire. Bullets zipped through the air around him. And what they would find out later was the first one hit him right in the chest, he opened up a, a hole the size of a quarter in the chest of the pigeon. Feathers flew everywhere. Another bullet hit him in the eye put out one eye. Another bullet hit the pigeon in the leg and uh, severed the leg except for just a little strand of tendon that kept the leg dangling, which happened to be the leg that had the canister on it. The bird began to circle around. Feathers were flying. And the, the soldiers were all looking as their last hope began to fall out of the sky and uh, their hearts fell, and uh, it, 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 it was a crushing thing. They felt doomed because this heavy attack was coming to their last hope, the little pigeon, Cherami. And yet something amazing happened as they watched. The, the little pigeon managed somehow, they knew it was wounded, but it spread its legs. And, and it spread its wings and began to climb higher and higher and strain with everything within him. And they watched and hope began to build as it flew out of the range of the enemy fire and the bullets failed to reach it. And um, the amazing thing was Cherami flew 25 miles in 25 minutes. And brought the message home. And in just a little bit, the shelling stopped on the Americans. And 200 lives were saved and rescued by a little messenger. Who even though he was wounded, would not quit trying to get the message home. When he reached the coop, he could no longer fly. In fact, he never flew again. Uh, when the soldier heard the bell sound, he went in and little Cherami was laying on his back covered in blood. His eye, one eye was blind 
uh, a, a bullet had had hit his breastbone, uh, and he was bleeding from a hole the size of a quarter, and then hanging by just a few tendons was the severed leg, and yet hanging with those tendons was the silver canister with the message that would save 200 soldiers. It was such a marvelous thing that the story began to spread. He became the hero. He became the mascot of the infantry division that he saved that day. The medics worked long and hard to patch him up. In fact, they were not able to save the leg. So the, the medics fashioned him a little wooden leg. And for the next year, Cherami walked around on a wooden leg, hobbled around. He received several medals for bravery. In fact, General John J. Pershing, one of the heroes of World War I, personally saw him off as he departed France to go back to America and gave him a medal because he saw the message through and he saved some lives that day. It's dangerous to be a messenger. It's dangerous. There is a cost to carrying a message. Hallelujah. In 1860, there were three businessmen that organized what they called the Pony Express. It would be a fast mail service between St. Joseph, Missouri and Sacramento, California. They promised something that had been unheard of previously, and that was that mail could be delivered out west in less than 10 days. They decided to prove their case by using the 1860 election, and it would be the perfect opportunity to, to be a national showcase for their promise. And so that they uh, prepared some relay riders, they prepared fresh horses along the way, and on November the 7th, 1860, the first Pony Express rider left Nebraska Territory. And only seven days, 17 hours later, he arrived. And the California newspapers received the mail and were able to publish the news that Abraham Lincoln had been elected President of the United States. With that, the Pony Express took off in its fame. It would involve 120 riders. It would involve 400 horses. And it would involve several hundred personnel. Each rider would ride about 175 miles per day. The Pony Express relay stations were built at 10-mile intervals, and that was about the distance that a horse could be forced to gallop before he would get tired and the riders were required that they would weigh no more than 140 pounds and they were not allowed to stop to eat or to drink. In fact, a typical Pony Express advertisement would go something like this. Wanted for the Pony Express. Young, skinny, wiry fellows. That's people who hadn't been to the buffet. Not over 18 years of age. This is, this is it. This is the standard for the Pony Express. Young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18 years of age, must be expert riders, willing to risk death daily, orphans preferred. 
In other words, if you die, we don't want to have to deal with your family. Just send us somebody with no family. And, uh, and if you were approved to be a Pony Express rider, uh, you were given all the horses you needed. You were given your own pistol and a Bible. Bless God, you were going to need it. And it was the most dangerous job in America, getting somebody else's message across. It involved outrunning bandits and outrunning Indians, people intent on killing you or stealing what you had. One writer became famous for finishing his relay after being shot with an arrow through the jaw, which knocked out three teeth. But with the arrow lodged in his jaw and bleeding profusely, he finished the trip because he was carrying a message that had to be delivered. I'm preaching to you tonight about the high cost of carrying somebody else's message. Amen. The high cost of getting the message through. Amen. Pony Express riders, the, the Pony Exp Express made sure that their riders earned $25 a week. And uh, uh, the, that may not seem like a lot of money, but the going rate for work in that time was uh, $1 a week. So you made big money if you were a Pony Express rider. The most famous Pony Express rider of the day was a man by the name of Bill Cody. He was nicknamed Buffalo Bill. He held the record for the longest ride for any Pony Express rider. He rode through the territory of Wyoming. What happened was he discovered that his relief rider had been killed. And so he not only made the trip to deliver, he also made the return trip with that rider's mail pouch and he traveled over the most dangerous sections of the entire trail, traveling over 322 miles nonstop on 21 different horses. Next time you're on vacation and your kids have to go to the bathroom, remind them of Bill Cody. They Buffalo Bill didn't stop. Amen. There's a high cost of carrying somebody else's message. A high cost. The Pony Express said, it doesn't matter rain or shine, snow or sleet. Uh, the Postal Service didn't think that up. It was the Pony Express. They said, it doesn't matter if the bandits are out to shoot us. It doesn't matter if the Indians are going to run an arrow through us. It doesn't matter the cost. We promise we're going to get the message through. You can trust us with the mail. You can trust us with the message. We're going to get it through. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. Several years ago, the United States Postal Service took the logo of the Pony Express and made it their own. And they even took some of the lingo from the Pony Express and they made it their own. In fact, if you listen to Adventures in Odyssey, there's an interesting character by the name of Wooten. Anybody ever heard of Wooten? And uh, Wooten has this philosophy about delivering the mail. 
And it is rain or shine, snow or sleet, we deliver your mail, but sunny days are optional. In other words, he may be doing something else if it's a sunny day. Amen. But I'm going to tell you tonight, I didn't come to preach about the U.S. Postal Service. And I didn't come tonight to preach about the Pony Express. And I didn't come tonight to preach about carrier pigeons. I came to talk about the most important message. I came to talk about the most important kind of message that can be carried to you. And that's the message of salvation. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God somebody was willing to pay the price. Thank God somebody was willing to take the risk. Thank God somebody was willing to put their life on the line to carry the mail. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm here tonight because I had a pastor. He didn't care about being popular. He didn't care about being part of the Evangelical Association. He didn't care if they they ran an article in the newspaper that criticized him, but he carried the mail. You You could shoot at him. You could shoot arrows at him. You could talk about him. You could disagree with him. But he said, I'm going to carry the mail. I got a message. And I might get there wounded. And I might get there bleeding. But I'm going to carry the mail. Bless God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated. We're here in Douglas tonight because you got a preacher that's come for five or six years. And he didn't he didn't come to Douglas for a paycheck. Because there wasn't one. He came to deliver the mail. He didn't come here for the great, glowing, adoring crowds. Oh, the people that's been here, we've been thankful. But that wasn't what he was here for, for the crowds. The masses gathering in. He's here to deliver the mail. We're not here tonight because uh, it it had to be a, a great popularity contest or a talent show. We're not preaching our own message. We're not preaching our own opinions. We're not preaching our own hobby horses. We're not preaching our own philosophies. We're not preaching our own ideas. We're not preaching something we got from another man. We're here to deliver the mail. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm not here tonight to preach my own material. Brother Wood hadn't been delivering his own material. It's God's material. I didn't come up with anything. I just decided to preach. Amen. Brother Wood said, I'm going to preach what God puts in my heart. What we preach is not original. I'm carrying somebody else's message. I didn't write it. I didn't come up with it. I'm not the author. It's not my composition. Amen. I'm not the creator of it. I'm preaching somebody else's message. I'm just carrying. Hallelujah. I'm carrying the letter. Amen. And if you don't like it, I don't have to take it personal. 
If you don't agree with it, I don't have to take it personal. You can be seated. It's not my message. It's not my sermon. Every now and then I hear somebody say, well, so-and-so preach my sermon. None of them's been my sermon. <laughs> if it's my sermon, it's pretty cheap. Whew. You know, you can't be God's preacher and be original. You know, I heard one man said, I'll either be original or nothing. Turned out he was both. I'm preaching somebody else's message. Paul said, we preach not ourselves. Why you people are arguing about whether it's Paul or whether it's Simon or whether it's Apollos or whether it was even Jesus. And you're arguing who's the best preacher. He said, you got it all wrong. I planted Apollos as watered, but God gives the increase. It's not my message. I'm not preaching Paul. I'm not preaching Apollos. I'm not preaching Chuck Swindoll. I'm not preaching T.D. Jakes. I'm preaching Christ and Him crucified. It's not my message. It's His message. I'm not preaching about my sacrifice. I'm preaching about Calvary's sacrifice. I'm not preaching about how great I am. I'm preaching about how great He is. I'm not preaching about what I think you ought to do. I'm preaching about what God commanded we've got to do. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated. I'm not the one that decided you need to repent of your sins. God said it. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I don't have the luxury of picking and choosing between Scripture verses that I want to receive and that I do not want to accept. It's my responsibility to read this letter just like he sent it, just like he said it, just like he told me. I can't pick and choose what verses I want and what verses I don't want. He wrote the letter. He wrote the book of Acts. He wrote the book of Romans. He wrote it all. I got to give it to you just like God said it. It's his word. It's his message. Hallelujah. Oh, I got to hurry. Oh. I didn't originate the idea of baptism. It's not up to me to decide whether it's necessary or not necessary today. I didn't come up with it. I never told anybody they had to be baptized. God put it in His book. He put it in this book that He gave me. Put it in my hand and said, I want you to preach it. Don't leave anything out. Get all 66 books of the Bible and preach it like I said it. Amen. Amen, amen. You can't say we preach man-made philosophies, man-made doctrines, man-made ideas, man-made traditions. Amen. It was him that said go into all the world, uh, teaching them, uh, baptizing them uh, in the name, uh, baptizing them in the name. Uh, He's the one sent disciples out and said baptize uh, I don't have the luxury uh, to decide whether I should or shouldn't uh, he wrote the letter uh, I just gotta carry the message 
Hallelujah. Amen. There's a high cost to carrying somebody else's message. When Jesus put it in the hands of the disciples, He said they're going to hate you. He said they're going to deliver you up before the council. He said some of you are even going to be put to death because there's a high cost for carrying the message. Wasn't my creation, wasn't my creation to have people speak with tongues? But God established it at the birth of the church. And He never put it in the letter where we needed to quit. He never put it anywhere in the letter where we had the option that we no longer have to have it. I didn't come up with it. Hey man, I'm preaching somebody else's message. I'm just carrying the message of the church. I'm just carrying the message of the church. I'm just, I'm just carrying the message. When I say repent of your sins, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Every one of you for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I didn't make it up. I didn't compose it. I'm just carrying the message for somebody else. To our guest, to our guest, hey, we're so glad you're here, and we appreciate you so much. But I'm gonna preach for for a couple of minutes like an old-fashioned apostolic, and this is this is just how we preach. Amen. Uh, I, I I just want to tell you, I didn't come up with I didn't come up with that it's wrong for women to cut their hair. I just read it in the Bible. It's his message. I, I, I didn't come up with a scheme that says that, that women should not wear a man's garment, neither a man should put on a, a woman's apparel. I, I'm telling you, this is just how we preach. I'm not, I'm not wanting to fight with anybody. I'm not aiming. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But this is an apostolic church now. And this, this is, we, 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 we made a promise to the Lord. We're going to preach His Word. When I got to reading the message I'm supposed to preach, I found it in Deuteronomy 22 and 5. And I told him I'd say what he told me to say. And I'd preach what his book tells me to preach. Hallelujah. I'm not spreading my own brand of Christianity. I don't want to be argumentative. I don't want to be unkind. I don't have a trademark. I don't have a brand. I didn't wake up one day and determine I was going to preach something. I just got in this book and I said, God, I'm going to be a preacher of this Bible. I want to carry your message. And there's a cost to pay. There's a price to pay. Hallelujah. I didn't wake up one day and have an issue with Hollywood. I read in the Bible... David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I just read in the Bible that God, God not only despises those that commit the sins, but those that take pleasure in them that do them. And I don't take pleasure in the cussing. I don't take pleasure in the violence. 
I don't take pleasure in the lying and the cheating and the seducing somebody else's husband and seducing somebody else's wife. We preach not ourselves. There's a price to pay for carrying somebody else's message. Hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you something, Pentecost. You can sit down, apostolics. We can get all self-righteous. But I'm telling you something. I'm telling you, we're living in a day that the church is getting colder and colder. And the church is getting more involved in the things of this world. Amen. We're living in modern day Pentecost world that uh, in, in a lot of churches today and Pentecostal churches and apostolic churches. And, uh, well, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's common to hear, well, Pastor, we can't make Wednesday night because, you know, Junior's got, got little league practice and Susie's got the bowling league and, and uh, the other one's got ballet and, and we can't, you know, and we can't get there Sunday but every other Sunday because we got tournaments and we've got this and we're so weighted down with the things of this world. I want to remind you, it's not mes- my message. I, this is not my message, but I'm going to tell you, God is a jealous God. God does not tolerate competition. God is jealous. Whatever takes you away from Him Whatever takes you away from time in his house, don't expect God to bless it. Hallelujah. 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 God, I want to be faithful to your message. Amen. You know what the problem with that is? You can be seated. The coach says, Junior, this time you better bunt instead of swinging for the fence. And it's amazing. Neither dad nor mom says, Where's that the rule book? They said, Junior, you better bunt because that's the coach. The coach says, Junior, you drop that fly ball out there in outfield. you got to run 20 laps around the diamond. Nobody says, where is that in the bylaws? Because that's a coach. The coach says, you got to practice pitching. You did such a lousy job. One hour every day, you got to get ready for the big game. And nobody fusses. Nobody says, where? we didn't sign up to that. But you let the preacher say. You let the preacher say we need to be in pre-service prayer. You let the preacher say we need to be in revival service. Oh, I, there's a price to pay for carrying somebody else's message. Uh, show what? You don't, need, you don't need to let your daughter wear that kind of clothing. Show me chapter and verse. And uh, you're teaching kids over a game now. We better get serious. But things that have to do with eternity. Ooh, 
We're not carrying our own message. We preach not ourselves. Oh, I'm going to tell you something. Jeremiah, I read to you just a little bit about Jeremiah and I'll hurry and I'll be quick. But Jeremiah, he was a man that was tender hearted and he was a man that was hard headed. And I'm going to tell you, if you want somebody to preach the truth to you, he's got to have both of those qualities. He's got to be tender hearted and he's got to be hard headed. He was tender hearted enough to cry over them. Oh, that my head were a fountain of tears. Oh, that my eyes were wells of water. I would weep day and night. He was tender hearted. He grieved. He wept. He cried. He mourned over the people that he preached to. But brother, when it was time to preach, he wiped the tears out of his eyes. He squared his shoulders. He straightened his backbone. And he preached, bless God. You got a man in Douglas tonight. He's tender enough to weep for you. But he's strong enough uh, amen, to preach to you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. You can be seated. I'm hurrying. The Bible lists three kings under whose reign that Jeremiah preached and Jeremiah ministered. Three kings. There was Josiah. There was Jehoiakim. And there was Zedekiah. Three kings through their tenure Jeremiah preached. Three seasons through which that Jeremiah stayed steadfast and steady. Three prevailing characteristics that Jeremiah stayed faithful to the message through. There was Josiah. Now Josiah was youthful and energetic for God and he was revival minded and he sought the Lord and it was in his reign that the book of the law was found and was read to all the people and there was repentance and there was revival and there was, there was a, a, a move of God that brought the people of Judah back to the heart of God Josiah Josiah was the man who turned the heart of the people of God back him and brought a great restoration. That was Josiah. That's where Jeremiah started out. That's when he began. And uh, and anybody can preach in a Josiah generation. Anybody can preach when everybody claps and everybody agrees. Anybody can preach when the altars fill up. Anybody can preach when there's revival in the atmosphere. Anybody can preach when there's a hunger and an appetite for the Word of God. Anybody can preach when the congregation is on the edge of their seat saying, Preach to me, preacher. Anybody can be, can be excited and preach the Word of God when they're getting plenty of amens and plenty of hand claps and a lot of applause and good response. But I'm going to tell you, you will not always have the days of Josiah. Because Josiah passed away at age 39. And a king rose up by the name of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. And this man was not as eager for the word of God that his father Josiah had been. Matter of fact, this man would read it. This man would listen to it. 
but he listened to it with a penknife. He would listen to it and he would select. I think our CD's over. I, uh, the, the, the CD don't even want, want to listen to me tonight. The high cost of carrying somebody else's message. But uh, Josiah was that generation said, give me more, give me more. Oh, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. But that generation didn't last forever. There came another generation that said, uh, tell you what, I, I think we can take this out. And uh, you know what? I don't think that's necessary. Holiness, that's just something back there for the people getting off the Mayflower, the pil pilgrims and Puritans. That, that, uh, that's not for us today. And, and, uh, and, and Jehoiakim came along and Jeremiah had to preach to the Jehoiakim generation that wanted to pick and choose what they would accept, what they would approve, and what they didn't want. Oh, they would listen to it, but they were selective in what they agreed with. Oh, they would hear you out uh, and they would find some little fine points uh, that were great, uh, but there was always something in it that they disagreed with. Um, and eventually they kept picking and choosing and cutting out this and cutting out that till everything was cut out and the entire scroll was burned. That's the Jehoiakim generation. Finally, that gave rise to the Zedekiah generation. Zedekiah was king when Nebuchadnezzar came in and carried the entire city captive. That's the captivity generation. Zedekiah was the king whose own sons were put to death before him. And then his own eyes were gouged out. And he was drugged in chains into Chaldean captivity, never to be king again. All because Zedekiah was completely rebellious. Zedekiah was completely stubborn. Zedekiah would not listen. He didn't even read the letter Jeremiah wrote. He didn't even want to hear the sermons that Jeremiah preached. He consigned him to a dungeon. And I'm going to tell you today, there's three groups of people that you got to survive. Amen. And being a preacher too. And that's the Josiah generation, the Jehoiakim generation, and the Zedekiah generation generation. You're going to be called to preach to the blind and the captive. You're going to be called to the semi-religious that want to pick and choose what I like, what I don't like, what I appreciate, what I don't approve of. And then there's the Josiah. God give us more Josiahs. God give us more hungry people. God give us more with an appetite for the preached word of God. Amen. Give us people that will come to church Amen. And say, God, I've got to hear a word from you. And I don't care if it's positive or negative. I don't care if it feeds my ego or it puts me on my face. I want to hear it. And I want it to make a change in me. <laughs> Hallelujah. There's Josiah services. And there's Jehoiakim services. The preacher says, I don't know if I'm getting through tonight. I don't know if y'all are listening. Folks, there's some kind of resistance to what I'm saying. That's Jehoiakim services. <laughs> there's a high cost to carrying somebody else's message. Oh, rejected by the priest and the prophets. Jeremiah, that's the high cost 
carrying somebody else's message. Not included in the clergy alliances. It's a high cost of somebody else's message. I, I, uh, they're coming at you and, and they're, they're putting chains on you, Jeremiah. They're saying something about putting you in, for, in, in, in front of the tribunal, bringing you to court. They're, they're talking about putting you in the dungeon until you sink down in the mire nearly up to your neck. It's the high cost of preaching somebody else's message. Oh, Brother Wood, uh, I know you have survived and you have thrived and, and you have stood in the pulpit time after time. Oh, but pastor, let me tell you, uh, it takes a hard-headed preacher uh, to make a church survive. Um, it takes a hard-headed preacher uh, to feed saints uh, week after week. Uh, amen. To sustain your own consecration uh, and sustain enough consecration to get something from the presence of God for somebody else's family and for somebody else's dilemma and someone else's situation. It takes a hard-headed preacher to survive the discouragements and disappointments. Jeremiah, you've been preaching for 10 years. What you got? Well, there's folks that still not where I want them to be. And the folks are still... I hadn't got them to where I'm hoping they would be. You gotta, you gotta have a hard head, amen. When you get through preaching, and I read to you tonight in Jeremiah chapter 26, he got through preaching the message, and brother, it had an impact. It was effective. We all pray to be effective preachers, brother. It had an effect. They all came forward that day and said, "We're gonna kill you." I mean, when they all come forward and you preach, usually that's a good sign, not that day. They all came forward and their, 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 their fists were clenched. Thou shalt surely die. Bad day. Should have picked a different text. But preaching is not a popularity contest. Preaching is not just fancy words. and Preaching is not a recreation. It's a calling. It's not a pastime. It's a lifestyle. This is not show business. It's not the entertainment biz. It's, we're not celebrities up here. Stephen preached and the religious leaders gnashed on him with their teeth. High cost carrying somebody else's message. Paul preached and was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. High cost for carrying somebody else's message. Peter preached and was imprisoned by Herod and had to be rescued by an angel because it's a high cost for preaching somebody else's message. And we think it's terrible when we preach and they just sit there. We preach and there's no expression we preach and we feel like we dropped our watermelon. At least you're not in prison. We preach and nobody comes to the altar. Amen. Jeremiah preached and everybody came toward him. You know, only the hard-headed can survive the rebellion and resistance of stubborn humanity. And, and somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way, you'll face the stubbornness of humanity. They were so stubborn 
that they hauled the prophet into court, put him on trial. And his only crime was speaking God's message. They said, you surely die. You will surely die. We're going to kill you for speaking in the name of the Lord. You are worthy to die. And so Jeremiah says, let me tell you something. I just told you what God put on my heart to tell you. And finally somebody spoke up and said, no, no, no. This man is not worthy to die. And you read in Jeremiah 26, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but somebody stood up, one of the elders stood up in that crowd and said, does anybody remember the prophet Micah? Does anybody remember Micah? Somebody said, yeah, it seems like I remember Micah. He used to preach like this. He did? Yeah, back in the days of Hezekiah. Well, they remembered. You know what, Hezekiah, that was days of revival. That was days when God was blessing. That was when God was prospering and, and just moving in Israel. And God was doing great things. And anybody remember Micah? Yeah, we remember. Do you remember how he preached? He said, Jerusalem's going to be like a plowed field. Ooh, he could preach, I'm telling you, skin the paint off the walls. Did Hezekiah put him to death? No. Matter of fact, Hezekiah was blessed. Hezekiah had revival. Man, that was a great day in Jerusalem. Well, we better follow the example. Let's get back to old-fashioned preaching. Let's get back to old-fashioned church. Let's get back to the old-fashioned apostolic message. They had revival in the brush harbors. They had revival in early Pentecost. They had revival way back there. Why don't we preach the same message? Let's preach against sin. Let's preach against worldliness. Let's preach for holiness. Let's preach against uh, the things of this world, against compromise. Amen. Somebody else spoke up. You can be seated. You can be seated. I'm, I'm trying to wind down here, but I'm having too good of a time. Somebody else spoke up and said, Hey, y'all remember that, uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, Elder uh, Uriah. Elder, yeah, yeah, seems like we remember that. Uh, man, I uh, said, you remember? He kind of got to preaching along the same way. Yeah, we remember. It seems like we do. And it was old Jehoiakim that he preached to. Yeah. What happened? Whatever happened to him? I don't never see old uh, Elder Uriah around. Well, he quit preaching. He did. Yeah, matter of fact, Jehoiakim said, "You know what? We need to kill that guy." And it just it just upset him so much he moved to Egypt. He read it. It's in there. He moved to Egypt, and Jehoiakim said, "Well, if he ain't got no more backbone than that." Why don't you take some men down there and bring him back? We're going to put him to death. And they went and found him in Egypt, brought his carcass back and put him to death. You know what? I'd rather be a Micah than a Uriah. Micah preached and he kept on preaching. And Hezekiah said, hey, we're going to get behind you. We may not like everything you say, but we're going to get behind you. And God began to bless, and God began to move, and God began to give revival. But if you ever run, if you ever get scared, if you ever give in to popular opinion, there's no future for you. 
I just believe whoever stood up, you can be seated. I just believe whoever stood up and said, Hey, y'all remember Brother Uriah? He ain't around no more. Y'all remember him? He preached for a little while and then he ran. I believe somebody was telling Jeremiah, Jeremiah, don't quit preaching now. Don't stop telling it now. Don't run, Jeremiah. Don't run, Jeremiah. Don't run, Jeremiah. Don't get scared, Jeremiah. Don't give in. Don't get to be a scaredy cat, Jeremiah. Stand your ground. Pay the price. Whatever you got to do, preach it, preach it, preach it, Jeremiah. Just don't run off to Egypt. I believe there's some people in Douglas standing up uh, saying, preach it, Brother Wood, preach it, Pastor Wood. Don't back down. I may be discouraged, but I'm telling you, that's the way I want it preached. I want the pure apostolic message. I want the doctrine. I want holiness. I want standards. I want righteousness. I want it just like the book says it. Hallelujah. I'm just about through. I'm so sorry. I've gone so long tonight. Only a hard-headed preacher can survive the weariness. The weariness. Jeremiah preached a whole lot of sermons. He preached about almond rods. He had a sermon about the boiling cauldron. He had a sermon about the potter's house. He had a sermon about a leather girdle or belt. If you got up and preached a sermon about the girdle today, everybody would be listening. He had a sermon about fig baskets. He had a sermon about the wooden yoke and the iron yoke. In fact, he could get quite creative. He would wear the yoke. He had a sermon about a place called Shiloh, the old home of the priest. And he preached it. And he looked out there and some of those people were still in the same shape. After all of those sermons that were powerful enough that God inspired them to be placed in our Bible. And yet some of them were still in the same shape. But he kept I want to tell you tonight, not only are preachers weary, but saints are weary too. They tell me the geese fly in a V formation for the simple reason that the leader creates what the scientists call an upwash. It, it, it's that the leader goes forward and off of his wings comes an upwash that hits the wings of the geese behind him. And there's very little effort. They can just ride on the upwash. As long as they stay behind the leader, they ride on the upwash of the leader. Another thing they say about the V uh, of the geese is that it's always lopsided. You ever notice that? One side's longer than the other. And they said that conserves energy is that, that, that they have found that if it's lopsided and, and there is, uh, they're, they're flying into V formation, 
that they can fly a lot further. In fact, in some cases, 70% further they can fly because somebody's going forward and they're just flying. They're migrating in the upwash of somebody else's leadership. Amen. Let me tell you something. If you'll get behind your pastor, praying will be easier. Worship will be easier. You can feel the presence of God better and quicker if you'll get behind your pastor. There'll be an upwash of blessings that'll keep you in flight and keep you heading the right direction and keep you moving when you're weary. You just get in formation, brother. You just get in formation. And you can, you can keep moving in the upwash. You may feel dead, but you get in that prayer meeting, it'll lift you up. You may feel weary, but you get in an apostolic church service, and you'll feel like worshiping, and you'll feel like praising God, and you'll feel like getting involved, because there's an upwash that lifts all of us. Hallelujah. I'm through. I'm through. Remain standing. Moses, it don't make any sense. But Moses is up on the mountain. And as long as he's got something going on between him and God, his hands are up. It don't make any sense. But Joshua down there in the valley, he's having victory. As long as Moses is going before him, before God, Joshua down there in the valley is having victory. What's happening is there's an upwash that's lifting those that are in the, the fiercest of battles. It's an upwash. Moses, Joshua said, hey, I'll go with you up on the mountain. I'll go with you into the tabernacle. Moses, I'm with you. Lay your hands on me, Moses. Let your spirit get on me. Let your gift get on me. I'm with you, Moses. I'm with you, Moses. And brother, he got in the upwash of Moses' victory and Joshua started having victory. Joshua started doing great things because he was in the upwash of his leader it raised Joshua it raised his leadership it raised his consecration because of the upwash following Moses and years later Joshua is still being lifted Joshua the sun's going down. Joshua, the day is over. Let's call it a day. Woo, but the God of my pastor is my God too. Sun stands still. Woo. If the water of the Nile can be turned to blood, the sun can be stopped. If the Red Sea can part, I'm still in the upwash of Moses. The Jordan River can part. If Pharaoh and his army can drown in the Red Sea, then these walls of Jericho can come down. I'm just in the upwash of my leader. You want victory in your life? Just get behind your pastor. 
say, well, uh, you know, Hallelujah. Let me tell you something. If you're, if you're the type of person that says, well, you've got to show me chapter and verse. You've got to give me black and white. You've got to give me. And you just can't take the principle that is preached. And the convictions. Let, let me tell you this. God is going to give this man convictions for this church. And those convictions are to be your convictions. If you want to be blessed. Now, if you don't want to be blessed, don't worry about it. And God won't bless you. There were some convictions that my pastor had. I do not have them today. But as long as I sat on his pew. As long, some of them, I, I didn't understand them, don't understand them today. But as long as I called him my pastor and I sat on that pew, brother, it was my conviction. And I don't regret a bit of it. God has blessed me and blessed me and blessed me and blessed my life because of it. I'll just give you one of them, and I'm going to sit down. I'm so sorry I've taken so long. But, but my pastor, this may be far out to you, but he didn't, he didn't believe a man should wear hairspray. He thought it made you a sissy, you were effeminate, and you had something bad wrong with you if you wore hairspray. And uh, you know what? I, hey, brother. He wanted you to use hair oil. But you know what? He was my pastor. Hair oil just made my hair go. But I sat there and shouted and it, it all flopped. You say, well, that's stupid. I'll tell you what, I wouldn't give up. Let me tell you something. Hairspray ain't worth going to hell over. They weren't going to hell over. And I read in that Bible, he said, I'll give you pastor after my heart. God didn't say, I'm going to look at your heart and see what you want and what you don't want. I'm going to give you. No, no, no. He said, I'm giving you my heart for you. And so his convictions are to be your convictions. And I'm going to tell you something. This man gets up and preaches something. The best thing you can do for your life, your family, is say, that's the way it's going to be. That's, that's the way it's going to be. That is how it's going to be. You know what? And we're living, living in a world that that is so strange. They're listening to what the politician says. They believe everything that the news anchor says. They believe everything that the, the atheistic professor says. They do everything the doctor says, everything the pharmacist says, everything the little league coach says. Ooh. And uh, let me tell you something. The most important thing we can do is listen to a message and say, God, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. Feed me. Praise God. Tonight we're, we're installing...
brother and sister Wood tonight, pastor of this church, and um, officially, he's officially now, they put pilots in the simulator. They let them practice taking off and practice landing, and they, they, they put them in all kinds of situations and, and put it in a stall, and, and it goes in, in, the, in some kind of a stall, and they have to pull it out of the stall and, and uh, put it back in flight and, and uh, learn what to do when the motor stalls in different ways and, and all of that, and they learn how to fly in a simulator. Thank God they don't just put them in the cockpit and say, take this thing, fly it around, see, see if it suits you. But they put them in all different situations where it becomes reflex and it becomes natural. Brother Wood has been in a simulator of sorts the last several years, and he's made all his, his, uh, his takeoffs and all his landings perfect. He's been in a stall a time or two, and, and he's pulled it out and, and uh, got smooth sailing again, coming, coming out of the challenges and coming out of the, the adversity. And um, we know God has great things for Landmark of Truth Apostolic.